Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning and a glorious Lord's Day to each of you. I sure feel the Holy Spirit here today. It is always a joy to be together on the first day of the week, but especially during this wonderful Advent season. And yes, we are going to have in-person services next Sunday on Christmas Day. Amen. Now, I know some of you that are sitting in your rooms right now in your pajamas. I know you're going to be here next Sunday because I'm going to make a lot of fun of you if you don't. So. I am sure the Lord has a special present for each one of us next week on His birthday. So bundle up, jump in the car, come here. We'll have some hot coffee, some hot cider for you, some wonderful music like you heard this morning, and a thrilling Bible message. You know, if you think the first coming of Christ is wonderful, and I know you do, you haven't seen anything yet. The second coming of Christ is going to be unbelievable. And so that's the message next week. The best is yet to come. Well, we have finished our series on the glorious topic of prayer. Thank you for all the positive feedback I have received. My heart thrills, just thrills at the prospect of hundreds of God-fearing people with the tools and the commitment to pray. I can only wonder what the coming months mean for this ministry, and I'm thrilled. Now this morning, we are going to turn the corner and uh, kind of a standalone message. I might follow up with another one. The holidays. They are a wonderful time of the year. The air is crisp and cold, smells of burning firewood, multicolored leaves uh, give us a, a patchwork quilt on our lawns. Towns and businesses and churches and neighborhoods display all their most uh, beautiful holiday lights and finery, tinsel and splashes of red and green here and there. And of course, everybody loves the pumpkin lattes and the peppermint mochas. That just seems to go with Christmas now. There are a lot of wholesome traditions that supplement the real reason for Christmas, which is a celebration of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. He is God in the flesh. He is our Savior. The Bible says that God gave His Son for the sins of mankind. And so God gave. And that is really what characterizes the season we call the holy days or the holidays. It's a time when people give. People get together and collect toys for tots. Clerks seem to be extra careful to be friendly and say happy holidays. And some will even say Merry Christmas. People share with each other. They pay it forward here and there. The underprivileged are given dinners and baskets and food. Salespeople gift clients with mementos. Bosses give their bonuses to show their appreciation. The fact of the matter is, it is a unique season in that it seems like, for the most part, we turn our eyes on other people. It's a time when we wish folks peace and goodwill. I mean, Sometimes even people that are in war will have a ceasefire, and they won't shoot each other for a few days during the Christmas season. It just seems like people are happier than usual. And actually, studies show that that is, in fact, the case. Matt Killingsworth from the Johnson Health and Society Scholars collected data from more than 20,000 people who reported how they feel at select moments during their daily life. 
Data reveals that, in fact, during the holidays, people are happier. And on Christmas Day, it is the happiest day of the year when polled by a significant Martian. Well, come to find out there's a scientific reason for that. And that is that people find that giving gifts is more enjoyable and more happy than receiving gifts. How about that? That's just catching up with what Jesus said, isn't it? In Acts chapter 20 and verse 35, our Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There is a reason why people are happier during this season. Actually, it's a scientific reason in addition to being a biblical reason, and that is known as the hedonic adaption. Imagine that. Researchers from the University of Chicago and Northwestern discovered that the happiness of subjects declined much less or not at all when they were giving. What they did was they took 96 university students, gave them each $5 a day for five days. Here was the catch. You can either spend it on yourself, but if you spend it on yourself, you have to spend it on yourself each day for the five days. If you spend it on others, put it in a tip jar, give us tip or something like that, uh, give it to charity, whatever the case is, you have to continue with that. And then they measured each day their self-reported sense of happiness. Well, what they discovered was that those who kept it for themselves, spent it on themselves, well, it just seemed like each day kind of lost its luster and it really didn't mean much to them by the end of the week. However, the opposite was true for those who would give it. Each day, they actually looked forward to giving something to somebody else. The fact of the matter is, giving is contagious. It is joy-giving. It is a blessing. I was reading through some different material, and I came across an insightful grouping of New Testament and Old Testament commands by F. Jennings Dake. One of them caught my eye. It was the seven blessings of the tithe. The seven blessings of the tithe. I thought, I'm going to look into this. And so as I uh, looked into that, I felt the Holy Spirit's prompting to amplify it and then share it. The timeless and blessed path to both joy and blessing. Today we're going to take a unique Bible trip in that we're going to talk about the spiritual blessings. Sometimes we kind of think about the more physical blessings, but which are very true, but we're going to think about the spiritual blessings by giving. And so would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed. Father, today, I know that you want this message. I thank you for the wonderful spirit that has just flooded our our minds and our hearts. Lord, would you just give us your mind? Meet with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our possessions... And our resources could be called treasures. They may not be so valuable, but in fact, they are valuable to us. They are given to us by God. And it's a very scriptural topic. Few things in life tell us more about our spiritual walk than our stewardship with our treasures. In fact, it might even be the supreme test of where our heart actually is. Look what it says in Matthew 6 and verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Late well-known American pastor Dr. Adrian Rogers said, A faith that hasn't reached your wallet probably hasn't reached your heart. Now some people say, well, they don't like pastors really talking about money. But the fact of the matter is it would really be hard to be a Bible preacher and not talk about money. Because there are roughly 2,000 Bible verses about money and possessions from Genesis to Revelation. Now, there are a lot of tangible blessings we all know. If you've been in the faith at all, you know that giving, it just seems like God gives back to you. But today, I want to focus on the spiritual blessings. Let's go to the last book of the Old Testament. It's the book right before the book of Malachi, or the Matthew, it is the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is also the name of the author. The name of the book and the author 
Malachi means messenger. And it points to a role that God gave him, a special, unique messenger. And then there's about a 400-year gap between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. It is God's final Old Testament message to his people. Malachi, in typical prophetic fashion, did not mince any words. Look it up, if you would, please, in in Malachi 3 and verse 7. We're going to pick it up there. Return unto me, he said. That's God speaking. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. He says the people seem to have the attitude, a rhetorical question. Wherein shall we return? What do you mean, God, by the word return? God says, I mean repent. You need to repent. You need to change your ways. That's really what he's saying. And he clarifies that in the next verse, verse 8. He's saying, you have been robbing. Robbery is the issue. Well, the man robbed God, yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. God is saying that when we don't give the tithe and the offering, it amounts to robbery. Now, we know that it is robbery against God, but it's robbery actually against two other groups as well. First of all, we are robbing God. We see that in verses 7 and 8. Robbing God of well-deserved thanksgiving and gratefulness for His absolutely bountiful provision day after day. But not only were they robbing God, they were robbing themselves. And that's really the theme of verses 9 through 11. Since the people were not fulfilling their part of the covenant that they had made with God, God said, I can't fulfill what I promised you. God had made a conditional covenant to them. We see that listed throughout the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. But look at Leviticus Leviticus 26. Here in Leviticus 26, lovingly, God lays out the the facts. Verse 3, if ye, if you walk in my statutes, so he said, now this is, this is about you. It's on you now. If you do that, if you walk in my statutes, everything that I've said, every law, and I don't, there's nothing that I've got hidden. I've laid it out pretty clear for you. Then verse 4, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. On and on the list goes. So God said, if you do this, you follow the word, then I'll do this. So they were robbing God of praise that he was due. They were robbing themselves of the blessing of increase. And then in verse 12, they were robbing others. Had they trusted God with their tithes and offerings... They would have been such a testimony to others. People would say, how can you do that? I mean, how can you just give all that money to God? And wow, it's just amazing what God has done in your life. And that's exactly what Moses, Moses, the centenarian proclaimed in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Here's this amazing man of God who has led the people of Israel for 40 years. He's over a hundred years old. He's still serving God. God uses him to give this message. Verse 10, and all the people of the earth, he stands up there and he said, folks, I want you to live in such a way that everybody looks at Israel. Everybody looks at Jerusalem. Everybody looks at your family. Everybody looks at you. I want everybody to see that there's something different about you because you have followed the Lord. You have followed the Lord. And when people look around our country and they see the beautiful city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, they see all our people happy. They see how God took a bunch of refugees, really, and made them a prosperous nation. Then God is going to get all the glory. And so God said there is a much bigger purpose in tithes and offerings. And when you don't do it, you rob God of his praise You rob yourself of blessings, and you rob the world of a great testimony. And so here we find now seven spiritual blessings that God promises to everybody who gives tithes and offerings. 
Let's go through those. Number one, God said, you will have revival. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. By the way, that term, the Lord of hosts, is a very wonderful phrase. I use that phrase often when I feel a demonic attack. Lord, you are the Lord of every host. Every demon has to flee. You are the Lord of every host. And so I pray this in the name of Jesus, the Lord of every host. And so that's a name that I use when I feel a demonic attack against my family, against the church, against my health, whatever. The Lord of hosts. And then notice it says, I will. I sometimes think we miss what God is saying here. God takes this particular situation personally. He said, just so you know, when you give the tithes and offerings, I personally am going to make this happen. I'm not going to give this to a trusted angel. I'm not going to give this to somebody else. I personally will make sure that you get blessed. I will, then he goes on to say, open the windows of heaven. Now that phrase, the windows of heaven, is used six times in Scripture. It is used in Genesis 7, in Genesis 8, 2 Kings 7, Isaiah 24, and here in Malachi chapter 3. It is a metaphorical phrase. It's similar to in such style to what Jesus said when he said, I'm a door. Jesus wasn't saying I'm a wooden piece of you know, plank of wood that swings back and forth on a hinge. What he was saying was, I'm an opening. I'm an entrance. And that's similar to what he's saying here. God is not saying there's some kind of a window in heaven that you can go through. No, it's saying that there's an opening, there's a portal, there's a channel through which something flows. Now, these windows can actually deliver tangible things. For example, in Genesis 7, God indicates that rain comes through one of these portals, one of these windows. In that, it's a metaphorical sense, but it's a physical reality. It's rain. But most often, when God uses the term windows of heaven, he's talking about an opening through which the blessings of God flow. And it's not always blessings. For example, in Isaiah chapter 24, it's actually judgment comes through the windows of heaven. But in Malachi 3 and in many other places, the idea is that the blessings of God come through this window. Whereas they are invisible and in a sense intangible, they are incredible. God promises us that the heaven-sent favor comes through these windows. Through God's wonderful windows come things like fulfillment in life, a sense of purpose, peace of mind, happiness. In fact, he said, revivals come from the windows of heaven. We sing songs about God open up the windows. May there be blessings come upon us. And it's actually true. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 85, verse number six. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Oh, it's an amazing thing when revival hits our heart because there's a new joy in prayer. Souls get saved. People are set free from hurts and hangups and all kinds of issues. It is an amazing promise of revival to anyone who is faithful in tithes and offerings. Isn't that incredible? God said, if you would like a revival, make sure that you are giving tithes and offerings. Famous, colorful evangelist at the turn of the 1900s was Billy Sunday. And he said this, he said, trying to run a church or a Christian life without revival is like trying to run a gasoline engine on buttermilk. It just doesn't work. Folks, now the question we might ask ourselves is, what actually is the tithe? Because God keeps talking about a tithe and an offering. Well, the tithe is a genius, God-given pattern of giving from the earliest days of humanity itself. In fact, you can go back 2,000 years before Christ to Abraham. In fact, you could even go before him. In fact, many scholars believe that the pleasing offering that Abel gave, where the Bible says it was more pleasing to the Lord, 
Adam and Eve's son, Abel, was actually the tithe. What is the tithe? Well, in the Old Testament, the word Hebrew word is masa'er. Masa'er, it means tenth. In the New Testament, it is the word dakataho, and it is the word for tenth. You can even see that in the Greek phrase there, deca, meaning tenth. It is literally 10%. For some reason, God wanted that particular little portion to go back to him as a steward. So God said, what I want you to do is I entrust you with my money, and I would like you to spend it to my glory, but the first tenth, I want you to bring it back and put it in something called the storehouse. Put it in the storehouse. Now, the storehouse has always been a specific place. It's not tithing just to take money and give it willy-nilly. God said there's always a place. Now, during the time of Abraham, when he gave tithes to Melchizedek, it was the family altar. Then it was the tabernacle. Then it was the temple. Then it was the synagogue. And then it's the local church. That is, in fact, the local storehouse. And that's what God said that we're to do to bring the tenth, the first 10% to the storehouse. And then God said, also give an offering. Look at verse 8 of Malachi 3. Wherein do we rob God? Sometimes we rob Him when we don't give the 10% and an offering. An offering is any gift above the 10%. So let's just kind of break it down. Sometimes we have a hard time kind of understanding, but I'll just be very practical. If we make $1,000 in a week, then the first $100 is the tithe, and then anything over and above that would be the offering. Now, for some, that sounds like a challenging goal, but I will tell you it is an incredibly wise plan that God came up with because it's not talking about equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And it's something that anybody can do. A little girl with her babysitting money, a business person with their six-figure salary, a homemaker with their side gig, whatever the case is. Now, hold on, because I'm going to give you both a biblical and practical method that anybody and everybody can accomplish that, no matter what your salary is, and still have enough for everything you need. And I can tell you that I've proved that to be the case, because ever since I was a child and got that first little uh, money from the lawn mowing there, till today I have tithed all these years. Widely read author Larry Burkett says, it is only by honoring the Lord from the first part that God can take control and pour out blessings on our spiritual lives. And so the first spiritual blessing is revival. Number one. Number two, you will have spiritual riches. If you tithe and give offerings to the Lord, you will have spiritual riches. Look what it says in verse 10, part B there. It says, I will pour you out a blessing that there shall not even be room to receive it. Think about that for a moment. God is actually in writing saying, I guarantee you, if you will give the first tenth of your income to the Lord and you will give an offering, if you're a tenor and a ten pluser, I promise you, you will be so spiritually blessed. Now remember, we're talking about spiritual blessings. Uh, it will, you won't even be able to receive all that God has for you. In Queensland, Australia, where we've been, there's a large gold mine known as Mount Morgan. At one time, it was the largest gold mine in the world. From 1882 to 1982, a century, it yielded about 260 tons of gold, 37 tons of silver, and 387 tons of copper. We just bought a copper pipe for our maintenance building out there, and I think it's actually gold now, but anyway. <laughs> but here's the point. Before the discovery, the people who were there lived on the mountainside, actually very poor lives. It's not very good farming land. It's quite barren, not much vegetation or 
not much water, and yet there was a vast wealth of gold completely out of sight beneath their feet the whole time. The only thing that separated them from a rich life was their failure to appropriate all that was underneath their feet, and they actually owned it. The owners of that mountain area, they actually owned all those riches and yet did not know it. And I can tell you, after five decades of being in the ministry, I find many believers are in a similar situation. They are sitting on tons of blessings that are so available, and yet they've never appropriated it. What is it that digs down there and gets those uh, wonderful riches? Well, it is tithes and offerings. For example, the riches of wisdom, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches of both wisdom and the knowledge of God. Sometimes we say, boy, I wish I just knew what to do. That's called the riches of wisdom. God says it's available. How about knowing that our sins are forgiven and uh, be rid of the shame and the guilt? Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy, that's a spiritual blessing. Some people say, I just wish I had a, a better life. I wish I had a good job or I wish I had some good friends. Romans 2 and verse 4 says the riches of his goodness. Good things come from God. Every good gift comes down from the Father above, James says. How about feeling a deep connection to God? Colossians 1.27, the riches of glory. I would just love to feel connected to God. Well, the riches of his glory come from tithes and offerings. I just really wish I had more faith. If I just had more faith, well, I could just do so many things. James 2 and verse 5 says that God, we can have riches of faith. God wants to pour out spiritual blessings on us. Well-known Christian pastor Charles Spurgeon told about a wealthy London businessman whose son walked out on him. Tired of the rules, he lost contact with his son. Years went by. One afternoon, his father was preparing to board a train. When he spotted there a ragged, dirty beggar reaching for money from the passengers along the platform. But there was something strangely familiar about him. When the homeless man, the beggar, as they called him in those days, approached the man and asked if he could spare a few shillings, the businessman realized this, in fact, was his lost son. Tears filled his eyes and great joy. He embraced his son and he said, a few shillings, my son, everything I have, I'm willing to give you. How sad and how foolish really to live a destitute life, to have a rich, wealthy father who wanted to give him everything, but to be so stubborn and to be a runaway and not willing to do what the father said. That young man could have been feasting if he had just followed the Father. God wants to give us riches. And God says it's as simple as giving the tithes and offerings. You'll have revival. You'll have spiritual riches. Number three, you'll have victory over the enemy. Chapter three and verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Rebuke. The word rebuke is the word restrain or prohibit. God promises to restrain and prohibit the devourer. Now, the devourer is actually translated from a Hebrew word, which means an eater. <laughs> the idea here is that locusts, which were a great plague or caterpillars, they would come and would come and would, at different times, would, could destroy their entire crop. In fact, could do so in just a few short days or weeks. Swarms were very common in the Middle East in those days. Now, God was giving them a very practical blessing. He said, now, if you honor God, give the tithe, give it back to me. I'll make sure that, that those crops stay protected. And if for some reason we, uh, I allow it, then I'll make sure that it gets rebuilt somehow. But there's a much bigger picture. And as I said earlier, we're focused on the spiritual blessings of the tithe. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Here, Peter, talking about the devil, says, be sober. Verse 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is the devourer. 
whom resists steadfast in the faith. How do you resist him? Well, that's the same word as God gave us here. Now, folks, you need to know this morning, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you are facing a mad devil. You may not want to think about it or accept it, but if you have determined to follow Jesus with all your heart, Satan has marked you for his devouring. He is stalking you like a lion in the tall grass of education, your profession, the administration around us, and recreation. He is just waiting for a chance to pounce on you and us and devour us and to chew us up and spit us out. The devil will do anything he can to utterly destroy our faith in Christ. Have you ever considered the names of Satan in Scripture? Listen to this list of names. If we don't think he's a devourer, his name is Satan, adversary, devil, deceiver, hinderer, wicked one, usurper, imposter, accuser, God of this world, ruler of darkness, and the old serpent. That's who we face. That's a formidable foe. And he is after our marriages. He is after our families. He is after our churches. And my friend, there is a flood of evil that has been unleashed against our children in America as never before. And that's exactly what Isaiah said is going to happen in that last day. Isaiah 59 and verse 19 said the enemy is going to come in like a flood. He's coming in like a flood. Our children are being flooded with persecution and physical attacks, mental and sexual and spiritual harassment. Temptations are facing every man, every woman, every child. Satan has aimed his all-out attack on each one that calls themselves by the name of God. And he is constantly looking to destroy us. But I remind us, he is looking for any area where he can sneak in. He doesn't have to have our whole life. He just wants some area he can get a foothold. All he needs is one area. And when he picks up on a weakness, a fleshly weakness, then he's going to aim all of his temptation towards us. I want you to notice in John chapter 14 and verse number 30, notice what Jesus told his disciples. He said, the prince of this world cometh. And oh boy, he comes. Like a flood, he comes. But he hath nothing in me. He will find nothing in me. Why? Because there was no nothing, there was no clink in the armor of our Lord. There was no weakness. There was nothing that he hadn't given over to his father. In fact, he was saying, when Satan comes at me, he won't find any place. In so doings, he did, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 33, God stopped the mouth of the lion when they live by faith. Now, folks, I don't want the devil to find anything in my life. And that's, I will tell you, that's exactly one reason why I give tithes and offerings, because I do not want the devourer to have any part in my life. I don't want him to look in my life and say, I've got something I can take advantage of there. God promises to give us revival, spiritual riches, victory over the enemy. And then therefore, he says, I will give you provision. Look at verse 11, part B. And I will rebuke the devourer, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. God has promised a blessing on the fruits of our ground. Now, obviously, he's talking about our um, basic provision here, the fruits of our ground, the labors, the things that we work for. How, do we, how are we able to understand this? I believe a great... Uh, clarifying scripture is found in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul asked Pastor Timothy, he said, now, brother, young brother, when you preach to your people, I would like to encourage you to tell them this. And so in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8, he said, encourage the people to have a priority in their financial life. Having food and raiment, therewith be content. The happy life, the contented life, the fulfilled life is, financially speaking, is to have food and raiment. Now, raiment means clothing, but it actually, in the Bible way, means more than that. It actually means kind of a roof over your head, because oftentimes they would use their outer cloak as a tent. 
And so basically God said, if you have food, you have clothing, you have a roof over your head, you're good. Now our financial world then goes like this. Number one priority is God. That's the first tenth. Number two priority is food. That's the second priority. So God has given us food for the tithe, or excuse me, given us money for the tithe. He's given us money for the food. And then the third priority is clothes and a roof over our head. And really in modern society, I think we pretty much throw in transportation because it's so necessary for everything. Everything's so far apart. So basically our priorities then are God first, then food, then clothing, roof over our head, maybe some transportation. And you say, why are you saying this? Well, folks, this is the plan I'm referring to. Because I hear people say sometimes, I can't afford to tithe. Anybody that says that does not understand Scripture. Because the tithe must be first. We can always afford to tithe. Now, I may not be able to afford my furniture payment on my big uh, 500-inch screen TV, but I can definitely afford to tithe because it's first. The tithe is first. Then food. You say, well, I need food on the table. Food is second. You have money for tithe. You have money for food because that's the second priority. What about a roof over your head? Well, that's number three. And so God always gives us. He promises to give us If we tithe and give offerings, he promises to take care of the basics. The problem is we like to have more than the basics. And I get that. I'm the same way. I like it too. But if we would get our life in order God's way, then you will always be able to tithe. Just do it. Put him first, food, then a roof over your head, and then you can prioritize after that how you like. Now, there's one more thing that I would tell you, and I hope you'll get this, and that is have zero debt. Never have debt about anything. What is debt? Many people misunderstand that. A debt is any unsecured obligation. That means I will have no contract, no agreement, no promise where there's not 100% collateral backing. You'd say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, for example, if you are buying a home, then the collateral backing is the home itself, and 99.9% of the time it would cover that. Or there could be a collateral backing of cash. You might choose to use uh, some other form of a a credit card or a debit card or something, but you actually have the cash. And so in that case, whatever, whatever agreement you make with somebody Make sure that you have 100% collateral backing, meaning that should they call on that, and sometimes they do make calls, and those uh, people who you owe things to, they want it immediately. Sometimes it's even written into the contract, but at any given time, it's covered, totally covered, zero debt on anything ever again. Dave Ramsey said, don't play with snakes. Snakes bite, and some of them can kill you. Avoid debt like it's a snake. It destroys your most powerful wealth-building tool, your income. Folks, if you will do that, if you will do these two things, please, I just beg you, especially every young couple, number one, tithe by prioritizing your budget, tithe first, food second, roof over your head third, and then the next thing is never never do debt for anything other than if it's 100% collateralized. Then... It is, then you have the promise of social security, God said. Now, I'm not talking about what the government gives. I'm talking about what God promises. Psalm 37, verse 25, David said, I've been young and now I'm old. Okay, David, I'm there too. I've been young, now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen someone who's doing the right thing forsaken. Doesn't mean he's going to have, uh, you know, steak uh, every meal, but it does mean that God takes care of them. Somehow, some way, God always provides the basics. Anglican reformer John Tillotson said, he who provides for this life, but takes no care for eternity, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. Number five, there is a fifth spiritual blessing, 
And that is you will have a hedge of protection about your family. And if for no other reason, I would tithe for this reason right here. God will place a hedge of protection about your family. Look what it says in verse 11. Neither shall your vine cast forth her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, of course, the crop is referring to actually a crop of grapes or whatever. Whatever the particular crop the person, most of the uh, early uh, Israelis were agrarian. They were farmers. But spiritually speaking, very clearly... The vine is also our family. I'll give you an example. In Psalm 128, verse 3, Thy wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house. Thy children like olive plants around about thy table. Everybody wants to be safe. We choose neighborhoods because they're safer. We go to certain places to shop because they're safer. We like it when we see security around us. And then we just blow off God's security We blow off God's desire to give us a hedge of protection. Consider for a moment the great offering giver, Job. Job chapter 1 and verse number 10. Even the devil is bellyaching against God. He said, you have made a hedge about him. I can't get to him. You've hedged him about his house and all that he has. Now, folks, I want that. I want a hedge about my family. I want a hedge about my health. I want a hedge about this church. I want a hedge about our families. Psalm 34 and verse 7, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. It takes a fear of God to tithe. It does. Because it's not an easy thing. It's not easy on our flesh. And it's scary. And it's like, oh, how can I do this? But if you fear God, God says he'll deliver you. He'll watch over your family. And we need all the eyes we can get protecting our family. Psalm 91, by the way, I talked about praying scripture the last few weeks. Psalm 91 is a great prayer, a prayer that that you can pray around a hedge of protection about your family. Being faithful in tithes and offerings is like hiring a full-time security detail for your family. You can always trust your unknown future to a known God. There is a sixth reason, and that is you will have a powerful testimony. All the nations shall call you blessed. Verse 12. All the nations shall call you blessed. If you're faithful in your tithes and offerings, God will so bless that you will be a witness of the power of God. We have some of these families here, some single parents, some that have others that are married, have large amounts of children, some no children. But the fact of the matter is, It is not easy to have a family or even exist in these days, but I will tell you, when we give the tithe, we become a wonderful witness of the power of God, that every moment, that's what I want to live for. Isn't that what we all want to live for, that some way, somehow, when people look at my life, they will say, I tell you what, I just want to, I want, you just witness for God. A guy told me this past week, he said, you know, Pastor Tim, he said, I want to spend more time with you. And I said, Okay. That would be nice. He said, I don't know what it is. He said, you kind of settled me. <laughs> and I was grateful to hear that. But you know what, folks? We, need to, we all need to live in such a way that we settle other people. People look at our lives and they feel blessed. In my position as pastor, I have the privilege to hear often a good word about the ministry of the home church. Maybe it's a text, a note, an email, a testimony at the new members class, comments from guests who come, especially at our big events, sometimes when I'm just around town. In fact, even in other countries, people who've known about our church, I hear a good word. If I had the possibility of total recall, I could be here, I think, for hours and never repeat a story and could just tell you of blessing after blessing of the testimony, the powerful testimony of the home church. Let me give you just a few. Here two weeks ago in the lobby, a couple looked at me and they said, they're from Elk Grove. They said, we've come here a few times now. And they said, I will tell you, and they were doing like that with their hand. They said, look at all these children and young people. They say, we go to churches everywhere. We have never seen so many children, so many young people. They said, what in the world? They were just so blessed. Another older uh, couple said, someone from your church helped me move. 
Another person said about a young man, he cleaned my shed, he cleaned my property. Another person said, a young, one of your young men held the door open for me when I came into the church. Another person said, some young man took an umbrella out into the parking lot and walked me in. Another person said, a lady from your church prayed for me. It meant so much. Another person said, my car had a problem. I was on the side of the road and someone from your church stopped by. A couple came to me and said, someone from your church gave us a restaurant certificate. Another parent said, your teacher took time to call me. Another person said, one of your pastors came by our home and visit us. It meant so much to us. Folks, I could keep you going on for hour after hour. The testimony of the amazing people you are, and I so thank God for you. And you know, when people give tithes and offerings, they're mission-minded. They get it. They get the mission. They get what we're all about. And that's why God said, all nations shall call you blessed. They'll call you blessed. And let me just take this opportunity to give a, a special testimony. Recently, a couple who both had passed away, members of the church a long time ago, they had done something very wise and very scriptural. They had placed into their will or their trust, whatever it was, the fact that they named the home church as a 10% beneficiary. Now, not ending up being millions, but certainly a, a great blessing and Hopefully it'll be a good uh, start on this building here. But I will tell you this, it is a good challenge for everybody. Not only that, that we leave a great legacy now, but in the days to come, I think everybody ought to just make sure that, you, that your estate has always included a tithe in it, always going to the Lord's work. Pauline and I have done that for the home church, and I, we would be a great thing. Who knows what the future holds, and if the Lord tarries is coming... We would love to be able to expand in our great education ministry. But I will tell you, folks, that is a tremendous, powerful, and great testimony. And there is one final thing this morning I want to share. Not only will we have revival and spiritual riches and victory over the enemy, provision, a hedge of protection about our family. And as I said, if for no other reason, that's what I want to do it for. And a powerful testimony that just points to Jesus, finally, God will use you for his glory. Look what it says in 3.12, part B. And by the way, just as a reminder, seven blessings, seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. Start in Genesis 1, go through the book of Revelation, many sevens in the book of Revelation, seven blessings. That means a complete blessing when we give the tithe and offering, a complete blessing. Look what it says in verse 12, you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Delightsome is the word highly desired. When something is highly desired, you keep your eyes on it. When something is highly desired, you think about it often. You make sure that it's safe. God said, you will, I will keep my eyes on you. I'll think about you often. I will keep you safe. You just do what I tell you to do, and I will use you because I delight in you. Isn't that exactly what the great apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21? He said, I want to use you as a vessel of honor, a vessel, a cup. If any man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, clean, meat for the master's use. That's what we want. I want this vessel to be used for God. But God said it has to be clean, when I woke up this morning and I looked for a cup, I didn't look for the one down on the bottom of the sink there that was used last night. I wanted a clean one. God wants a clean vessel. And when God finds a clean vessel, then he can use it. A clean vessel obeys the word. A clean vessel is one who obeys God in tithes and offerings. A young man accepted a call to become a missionary to Africa. But upon further examination, he found that his wife really could not endure the climate of Africa. He sadly but prayerfully returned to his home and determined that he would spend his life spreading the kingdom of God and building churches and supporting ministers. His father was a dentist, and his father 
had started to make unfermented wine, grape juice, for communion services. The young man took the business over and determined he would always give tithes and offerings no matter what he did. He developed the business until it assumed it became a huge business. His name, Thomas Bramwell Welch, whose family still manufactures grape, Welch's grape juice. He began to tithe and God used him. Henry Crowell was the founder of Quaker Oats. He was a tither. William Cogate was a tither. God blessed him with as the owner and the founder of Colgate Soaps. The same is true of Harley Proctor, Ivory Soap, Matthias Baldwin of Baldwin Engineering, R.G. Letourneau, John Rockefeller Sr., the founder of Amway, Richard DeVos, was a tither before he had that great business. Hobby Lobby founder David Green always tithe. In fact, he recently pointed out that he has given his whole company to God. Chick-fil-A owner Truett Cathy takes 10% of their corporate profits and puts it in the Lord's work. The owners of In-N-Out Burger proudly display Bible verses on their packaging. They give generously to the Lord's work. My point this morning, the smartest, the brightest, the most hardworking, the most greatly used men and women of God give tithes and offerings. Folks, it is the path not only to earthly blessings, but to seven spiritual blessings. We have been so blessed this year, and I am so excited about what God is going to do in this new year. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.